0: Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast explores the center and fringe of art scenes around the world. In today's conversation, we introduce you to Jillian Hernandez, a Transdisciplinary Scholar and Curator from Miami. She is currently Assistant Professor in the Center for Gender, Sexualities and Women's Studies Research at the University of Florida. We reach out to talk about her 2020 book, Aesthetics of Excess, The Art and Politics of Black and Latina Embodiment. Hernandez has a personal affinity for this subject.
1: My research focuses on Black and Latina gender and sexual politics, particularly in the realm of visual culture and popular culture. So I look at contemporary art, I look at social media, and I do a lot of work around hip hop. I'm just really interested in how Black and Latina women and girls negotiate the cultural sphere and how they express their ideas through the body, through their art, and through the culture that they create. This is very relevant
0: today in our society. You often use the word Latinidad. So how do you define that term?
1: When I say Latinidad, I'm really pointing to the constructed meanings of what it means to be Latinx. That term emphasizes the fact that it is a construction, that it is an idea, that there's an idea of Latin-ness that is out there in the world. Latinx is a term that seeks to point to folks of Latin American descent who reside in the United States. The term Latinx with the X at the end is to use a non-binary Reference, not lumping all Latinx people into either Latino, which is a masculine, or Latina, which is feminine. Latinx encompasses all different gender identifications.
0: So, gender identity is really key to this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: The word chonga, what does it mean? That term is a colloquial term
1: used by young people in Miami to describe working class Latina girls who are perceived as crass, as tacky, as extra, as loud, as too much.
0: Chongalicious definition, arch my eyebrows high. They always staring at my booty and my panty line. You could see me, you could read me, cause my name is on my earrings. Girls got reasons why they hate me, cause their boyfriends wanna date me,
2: Chongalicious.
1: The, the 2007 Chongalicious video was this moment where that term took on a really spectacular visibility in Latinx and Latin American popular culture. What is your reading
0: of Chongalicious, of that performance?
1: I think it was funny. I definitely enjoyed that performance. I applaud the Chonga girls for that video and for the way it went viral. My issue mostly is in how we still have this persistent trope of the Chonga as just someone to make fun of. It was taken up by the media and by other people as just a joke. Of course it was a joke, but then it became the sort of uber presentation of chonga girls. What I critique is how the chonga identity in its reception of cultural works like that video doesn't get taken seriously. Often that kind of trope of the chonga as just a costume, as just something funny, actually minimizes the experience and the representation of chonga girls. I also bring in the work of artists like Crystal Pearl Molinari, who did identify as a chonga growing up and whose work is very complex in its attention to the art of putting together the chonga body and the ways in which chonga representation comes from relationships, comes from cultural practices, comes from spirituality. So maybe you've seen that I wear a lot of jewelry and you're wondering why. Well, because I like the way it sounds and also because It means stuff to me. You see that? That's a little elephant. Elephants are for good luck, right? My grandma gave me this. This was hers, and she loved it very much. It makes me think of my mom and my dad, and it's like, you know, their little heart is right there next to mine.
0: It's important to understand that there's a full spectrum of Latina style.
1: So Latina aesthetics is a term that defines the styling practices of Latinas across a variety of spaces. So that can be the Latina girl who wakes up in the morning and perhaps puts on some makeup to your Latina grandma who puts herself together and to the work of contemporary Latina artists like Crystal Pearl Molinari or Yvette Mayorga who bring these domestic and very gendered practices of styling to artwork. Also thinking about domestic spaces, thinking about how Latina women decorate the home. Latina aesthetics traverse both the realm of the everyday and then like the very high culture space of contemporary art. And my book is very much invested in blurring the boundaries between these two cultural sites. So what
0: sparked this interest in the subject? My own
1: girlhood, my own experiences of admiring the ways women in my family dressed, but also experiencing a lot of policing around my own body and how I presented and what I was able to wear and what I was able to do.
0: Let's talk about how these ideas played out in your work with Black and Latina girls through the Museum of Contemporary Art in North Miami.
1: Through working with girls in Miami through a program I started called Women on the Rise, where myself and a group of other women artists of color would go out into the community and do feminist art workshops, I would observe how the girls were also policed by each other, By the adult women who worked with them as teachers or corrections officers or therapists. There's always this recurring idea of too muchness, which is why I use excess. This idea that Latina girls are too sexy, too loud, just take up too much space. This book really grew out of a desire to call attention to how damaging that is. But beyond that, I'm really invested in highlighting what a huge amount of innovation and value Latina and Black women and girls provide to culture through their aesthetic work.
0: You recorded the sessions that you did with the girls. I love how you described it as a place where art and girls collide
1: I did work with Women on the Rise for over a decade, and I would say I recorded maybe a total of 10 sessions out of hundreds and hundreds of them, if not potentially over a 1,000. The book draws upon those recorded conversations, but I bring that experience of over a decade of work and the memories and the stories of that to the book. And those were moments where these questions of the politics of the body just sort of came up organically. The book really grew out of the observations that I had over many years of working with the girls and understanding how undervalued the stories of Black and Latina girls are, especially in the contemporary art world where they're not even imagined as an audience, whereas in Women on the Rise, like they are the audience and they are engaging in conceptual art practice. To me, it was important to do that work. I, in the book, talk about Women on the Rise as a performative space where we are coming to girls and talking to them about the work of Mikalene Thomas, about the work of Anna Mendieta, about the work of Yayoi Kusama, and like what are the conversations that come up? And all of these really rich, amazing debates difficult conversations, so I don't pretend that it's like this feminist wonderland. Often these are spaces that are rife with conflict, but to me there's so much richness in how the girls theorize art and
0: popular culture. I think that it's important to think about policing behaviors and presentation. What ends up being the social cost of what you're describing as aesthetic excess.
1: The social cost of the perception of Black and Latina girls as aesthetically excessive is that they get punished for just existing. If a teacher thinks that your outfit is too revealing, Maybe she'll write you a referral, maybe you'll get suspended. There's so much documented research on the school to prison pipeline and how it affects Black youth in particular, then Latinx and then Native youth. So we know that the surveillance of the body is a long-standing practice of racism in this country, that there is a structure of visuality And a discourse of proper taste and decorum that is colonial in its origin. This is precisely why, in the book, I mentioned Trayvon Martin wearing a hoodie, right? Like that there are these items of clothing that already mark a body as deviant. In my book, I want to tell that story, but beyond that story, my argument is not that young people need to stop wearing hoodies or stop wearing tight jeans. It's actually our society needs to stop looking at people with a colonial gaze. That is really the intervention because I'm not invested in asking young people to police themselves further in order for them to be protected I think, especially in the last year of all of this social upheaval and police violence, that we understand that no amount of respectability or proper dress will protect a Black person from someone who perceives them as criminal. I'm also calling for a different form of politics that operates from an embrace of embodied freedom and to place the pressure on these colonial legacies and colonial institutions like museums and like the police. It seems
0: like where this hyper-feminine or even the hoodie or rap culture is validated in music and art, that may be the only place where it becomes cultural capital.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, even that does not then trickle down to the everyday Black and Latinx youth who actually created these cultural forms that are so valuable to begin with, it's really unfortunate that it has to reach this mainstream level in order for it to get any play. And in the book, I talk about how even though, especially in the early 2000s, you have this quote-unquote ghetto fabulous aesthetic that becomes very popular in the art world with Louis Gisbert, with Nikki S. Lee, with William Cordova and other artists who bring this aesthetic to the very upper class elite white art world. And they just become another commodity. And it's not to, of course, undermine the work of these artists, but to say, like, the circulation of these aesthetics is still... Operating under the historical role of the museum as the place of displaying an empire's wealth. This is something that LaManda Horton Stallings talks about. For the museum to display the work of artists of color, which they seem to be very invested in doing right now, it's not enough. Because just to display artwork is not actually transforming communities at the root.
0: In your epilogue, you talk about the future of aesthetic excess for Black and Latina girls and women. Tell me more.
1: I truly believe that Black and Latina and Asian and Native fems, feminine presenting people, whether they identify as non-binary, trans, cis, I think that we are at the vanguard of really dismantling so many harmful systems that in this past year we have been exposed to how much they fail. And for me, the futurity is very evident in popular culture. So like WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, Montero by Lil Nas X. To me, these are artists who are showing us the way through aesthetics of excess and hyper Note that Little Nas X wears these fabulous pink outfits. They are signaling a different reality, a potential reality where everyone, not just Black and Latinx people, because if Black and Latinx people are free, then de facto everyone is free. So I feel like that augurs a future where everyone can be free.
0: That's really what it's about. Nicki Minaj plays a big role in this book and in your conversations with the girls. I would love for you to read The Politics of Pink, A Rococo
1: Manifesto. I have the book in my hand. Okay. In Rococo, I see a lady revolution and I want a Rococo revolution. In A Rococo Revolution, Every gaudy quinceanera would be an agent of social disorder and womanist freedom. Rococo disrespects notions of proper taste and decorum and celebrates the feminized and exaggerated. Rococo was the style of my grandmother's living room, and I always felt really good in there. Velvet walls and cheap crystal chandeliers, elaborate lamps and figurines. Rococo is how I want to live, like Momoko and Kamikaze Girls. Nicki Minaj presents a shamelessly sexual, I don't give a fuck black branded pink Rococo spirit that drives me. It's a spirit that was disciplined out of me. I am working to get it back. I am waiting for pink Friday to arrive like the coming of the Messiah. But this savior is a black woman whose hourglass shape reminds me of my own in whose bodily fakery I see art in whose mass market packaging. I see the rise of a girl from the hood. And it makes me feel that things are possible. Let's start the Rococo revolution together.
0: This is the Fresh Art International podcast. I'm Kathy Bird. In our episode with Jillian Hernandez, we hear how she's been delving into the aesthetic hierarchies of Latin American and Black femme culture for more than a decade. Personal experience comes into play in her rich book, Aesthetics of Excess. The subject is made real by the author's longtime commitment to empower a particular community of teenage girls in Miami. By creating opportunities for them to collide with art, she offers them freedom to express themselves and gives us the opportunity to think about how we could all be our truest selves. If you like what you're hearing, please take a few minutes to rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you go to listen. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, and listeners like you make Fresh Art International possible. Visit our site to learn more and explore the podcast archive we've been building since 2011. While you're there, sign up for our latest news and give a donation to support these stories. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.